Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis, Genesis 18. We're taking a brief break. I promise we'll be back in Revelation next week, but I want us to stop briefly. We're 40 days out from Easter. So strategically here, I want us to look at Genesis 18. As you're finding your place in God's word, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us via our live stream. We're so grateful that you're able to join with us this morning. Also, uh, Reach Church DeSoto. Um, Pastor Ryan is out uh, this weekend. He is hiking in some very cold weather. And uh, so we need to pray for Ryan that he makes it back safely because we need him. So uh, pray for Ryan and also the venue service joining us down the hall. And just so grateful all of you are joining us uh, this weekend. We're taking this break um, as we enter into the Easter season because I felt like it was important um, that we, as we approach Easter, that we pray. In light of um, what we've been studying in Revelation and seeing what is to come, and also in light of what we see currently happening in our world today, I felt that we need to stop and just focus in on what it means to pray. And not just pray, but pray specifically. To pray for God's hand to move on behalf of other people for their salvation. And when you think about prayer, um, there's a lot of places we can go to learn more about prayer. But you really have difficulty doing any better than Abraham's prayer at the end of Genesis 18. This is the first instance of prayer or intercessory prayer in Scripture. Certainly, we've seen men and women talk with God prior to this moment, but this is the first instance of a man pleading with God on behalf of another individual. That this is a man who knows the judgment of God is coming. He has a deep burden for his nephew, Lot, and he prays. And we can learn just about all we need to know about prayer on the basis of this, uh, this prayer here in this passage. And then at the end, we're going to commit ourselves to praying for others and praying for the lost. The context of this passage, because I know we're just jumping in here, we, we studied this a little over two years ago, so some of you remember this, but uh, this is a, a period in which Abraham has had um, three men show up at his house. They're passing by, and he demonstrates just a remarkable level of hospitality as he invites them in. He puts Sarah through a lot of work to get a meal ready, and so they're rushing to get this meal for these three individuals that show up. And, and they're not just ordinary men, are they? The, the two of them are celestial beings and human guys, and the third individual is the Lord himself. Although I think initially, at least Abraham didn't know it, it becomes evident to him and to us as we work our way through the text. But he has a meal with the Lord. And you remember it's at this meal when the Lord tells him, I'm going to come back in a year and you're going to have a child. And Sarah in the other room starts laughing and the Lord didn't think it was funny. And he said, why'd she laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. And, and, and there, interesting, Abraham learns that you don't keep secrets from God. Did you know that? You don't keep anything secret from the Lord. He knows. And so they finished the meal and Abraham being the good hospitality man that he is, he's escorting these guys out to the curb. You know, he's just walking them away from the house. 
and he's talking with them as they go. And so we pick up the story. Let's read together, and then we'll ask God to bless the study of his word. Look with me, verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. And in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he's spoken about him. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. I'll go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing there before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Will will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, now behold, I venture to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I'll not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I'll not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I'll not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, Lord, I I venture to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it on account of 20. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak only this one. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Father, this morning as we study your word, we ask that you would bless it. In each and every person's life that's either here in this room or watching online, God, I pray that you would speak to them by means of your spirit and your word. That you would draw all of us closer to yourself. That we would learn more about who you are and what you're doing And we would participate with you in the accomplishment of your will. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that by your spirit you would convict them of sin and the coming judgment. And they would trust in Christ and know his salvation. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we see Abraham pray here. And two things I want us to see. One is the the basis of his prayer. And then the means by which he Praise. What's the basis of Abraham's prayer here as he pleads with the Lord on behalf of these people? The primary basis is a close personal relationship with the Lord. If you know the story as we studied it beginning in Genesis 12, there's been a growing closeness between Abraham and God. God has been drawing him close into a personal relationship with him. And there's been some ups and downs, some rocky days and some really good days. But God all the while is drawing Abraham close to himself. And so here they've, they've shared this meal and, and, and they're leaving and Abraham walks them to the curb. He's sending them off and the men begin to look off down the road towards Sodom. And Abraham, I don't think he has a clue what's going on. 
And then we see this odd thing, this kind of this conversation that God has with himself in verses 17 through 19. And God says, I I cannot hide from Abraham what I'm about to do. I've chosen him. I'm going to make this guy into a great nation. He's He's a friend of mine. How can I not disclose to him what I'm about to do? Why would I hide my plans from my friend? And you can almost see that God not only wants to kind of disclose to Abraham what he's about to do, but you can almost sense that God kind of wants to invite Abraham to participate with him in some way in what he's about to do. You know, one, one of the great privileges of knowing God is that when you know God, you also know his plan. You know his will. You even, to some extent, know the future. Jesus said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you slaves. For slaves don't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That if you know Christ, God has no desire to keep you in the dark as to his will and plan. And not only does he desire to share his plans with you, he desires to see us participate with him as he accomplishes his plan. This to me is amazing because I often say if I were God, I would have saved me and said, sit over there, shut up, and don't do anything because you'll mess the whole deal up. But the beauty of God is that he not only tells us what he's doing and what he will do, but he invites us into his purposes. So right here, Abraham's Prayer is birthed out of this close personal relationship with God through faith. And one of the privileges of friendship with God is that he discloses his will and invites us in. Well, what is God's will? What is God going to do? Well, we see it in verses 20 and 21. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. I'll go down now and see if they have done according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. So God tells Abraham what he's going to do. It's interesting though, nowhere here does God mention the name Lot, and nowhere here does God use the word judgment. But it doesn't take Abraham long to put two and two together to realize that God is about to bring judgment upon Sodom, and his nephew Lot is down there. And it's out of Abraham's knowledge of God's will that Abraham prays. You know, when it comes to prayer, the question that is often asked is why do I need to pray if God is going to do whatever God is going to do? And the answer is actually very simple. It's because God has chosen in his sovereignty to work through our prayers. God has chosen in in his sovereignty to work through our prayers. God could have chosen any number of ways and means to accomplish his purposes and his plans, but in his wisdom, he has chosen to use prayer in ways that we'll probably never fully understand on this side of glory, to move the machinery of his providence on behalf of other people. God's will in this moment is to save Lot and his family. And certainly God, if he wanted to, he could have just plucked Lot out of that situation by his power. But instead, what does he do? He draws Abraham close. He develops this friendship with Abraham. He lets Abraham in on his will and plan. And then out of that concern, his concern for nephew Lot, who's there, he begins to pray and to plead with God in intercessory prayer for Lot's salvation. 
I mean, it's a fascinating picture when you look at it because at first glance, if you're just reading this through, it appears that Abraham is badgering God to get out of God what he wants. But if you step back at it and you analyze it, what you really see is God is putting Abraham in a position to get out of Abraham what he really wants. See, Abraham is not changing God's will. God is changing Abraham by means of his will. We need to know this today. Prayer does not change the will of God, but the will of God changes our prayers. It not only changes our prayers, it it changes us. And God kind of squeezes out of us what God really wants from us, and that's a personal relationship with him whereby we pray and we communicate with him and we participate in what he's doing. And this is often how God achieves his purposes. I mean, you think about it. When God wanted to reach the orphans in England, what did he do? He took a man named George Mueller, and he drew him close, didn't he? He developed a close personal relationship with George Mueller, and he told George Mueller what he was going to do. And George Mueller's heart was broken for orphans. And Mueller prayed He was a man of deep, abiding prayer. And through his prayers, God accomplished his plan. And he used and changed Mueller in the process. What a powerful picture. When when God wanted to save the people of India, what did he do? He moved in the heart of a man named William Carey, didn't he? Drew William Carey close to himself. Developed a close personal friendship with him. He disclosed his will. and, And William Carey's heart was broken for the lost in India. And so he prayed and he participated and God saved those people and God changed William Carey. One that's uh, more close to home, a couple of months ago I met with a man I didn't really know who I was meeting with, but this man had a passion to reach students on college campuses. And years ago, what God had done when he wanted to reach students on college campuses in the Midwest, what he did is he moved in the heart of a man named Steve Shadrach. And God drew him really close. And God disclosed his will. And God broke his heart for college students. And he started a ministry called Student Mobilization that has reached thousands of students. God was going to reach those students. And he did it by means of drawing a man close, breaking his heart, showing his will. And a man who prayed and participated and God accomplished his, his purposes for his glory. It's amazing. You know, the glorious part about this is God receives glory whenever any savior or any sinner is saved. Anybody that's saved, God gets glory. But how much more glory does God get when he uses converted sinners like you and I to reach them? That's glorious. God says I can save them any way I wanted to, but I desire to use sinners like you and me to reach people, and when it's all said and done, God and God alone gets the glory. I love this because if God didn't do it this way, you know what we would be? We would be spectators. That's all we would be, just spectators. And I don't know about you, when I played sports, I didn't want to spectate. Nobody signs up to play and wants to sit on the bench. I wanted to participate. And you know what God desires? Participants. He's the Lord of hosts. He he delights in service and so he saves us and he draws us close and he breaks our heart and he shows us his will and he invites us in. But then look at the means of intercession. How, How does Abraham pray? 
Well, primarily, he prays on the basis of God's own character. You'll see twice here that Abraham says, you can't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. He says it twice. In fact, I think he says it three times. You can't, that, you've got to deal justly. You can't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. See, Abraham understands that God is just. He understands that, that God cannot overlook sin. He understands that sin must be punished. But Abraham also understands that God is merciful. Abraham is a man who understands that God is merciful, God is gracious, God delights in saving sinners. How does Abraham know that God is merciful? How does he know that God is gracious? Because he has experienced God's grace and his salvation and his mercy in his own life. And as a man who had received mercy but also knew that God was just, he was a man who interceded on behalf of others. In fact, I love this. In verse 27, he says, I'm but dust and ashes. Abraham was a man who realized all that he deserved was death and hell. And yet God had been merciful to him. So do you see how, uh, the, or the way that Abraham play, prays? God, I know that you're holy. I know that you're serious about sin and judgment, but I also know that you delight in the salvation of sinners. That judgment is your strange work, but it's not your delight. You delight in salvation. Folks, this is what separates us from being powerful and effective in prayer and just bringing our shopping list to God. Far too often our prayers are more like just gimme, 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 gimme. Listen, if you want to be powerful and effective in prayer, then pray the heart and the character of God back to him. To say to God, this is who you are, God. Move in accordance with your heart and your character. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. In other words, Jesus says, when you're abiding in me, when you have my heart and when you pray in accordance with my word, then ask whatever you want. If we're going to become mighty in prayer, we must get to a place where we feel what God feels and we pray his heart and his character back to him. And so Abraham prays on the basis of God's character, but he also prays with persistence. And I love this. If you look with me again at verses 28 through 33, I love this. He says, suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Don't you love this? He doesn't say 45. That might not be appealing. We're just going to say 50 lacking five. I mean, this is a great salesman. You would have wanted Abraham on your sales team. Suppose the 50 righteous are just lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? You, come on, God. You're not going to destroy a whole city because of five people. He says, I'll not, don't you love it too? God says, I'll not destroy it if I, see, if I find 45. He says, I see right through you, Abraham. You're not fooling me. And then in verse 29, he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40. And then in 30, oh, may the Lord, I know I'm pushing the limits. I'm overcooking the grits. I know I'm getting too far here. But would you save it if you just found 30? What about 20? And he gets him down to 10. Do you know what I think? I think Abraham, when he first started, had a number in mind he was trying to get to. That's a good negotiator. He's got a number. I think Abraham, because who is Abraham really thinking about here? He's thinking about Lot. And probably Lot's wife and his children and their spouses. He's probably thinking, if I can just get him down to 10. If I can just get him down to 10. He's plumbing the depths of, of God's mercy. I'm going to see how far I can push God. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the, to the furthest extent. 
And these are the kinds of prayers. I'm convinced these are the kinds of prayers that God delights in. Why am I convinced of it? Because we see it in Scripture. One of the best examples of this is the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. She comes to Jesus, and she's coming to Jesus on behalf of her daughter, who is demon-possessed and keeps throwing herself into fire. Now, you would think that's a pretty good request. She's not even asking for herself. She's asking on behalf of her daughter. And she's not asking that her daughter become a beauty queen or win an athletic competition or get rich. She's asking that her daughter won't be dead. Your enemy, Jesus, possesses her and throws her into fire. I'm asking for you to cast the demon out. That's a pretty good prayer. You know what Jesus does? He ignores her. This is one of those passages of Scripture that's hard to stomach. And what the, the disciples do is they disciples say, Jesus, we'll send her away. We'll get rid of this crazy woman if you want us to. But does she give up? I don't know about you, but I would have probably thought if that's the way his guys act, I don't, I don't even want to talk to him. But this Syrophoenician woman, I don't know if she had a Sunday school class where she learned something about Jesus, but she knew. She won't give up. And in fact, Jesus says to her, I wasn't sent to your kind. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. <laughs> you talk about a rough statement. But does she give up? She doesn't give up. I mean, this woman's incredible. In fact, at the very end, Jesus says, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. The commentators try to soften this. They say, well, there's domestic dogs and there's, uh, you know, the, the, listen, a dog's a dog. This is not a compliment. Does this woman give up? She says, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. And Jesus says, I love it. Your daughter's healed. Jesus delights in people who understand that he is their only hope and they will not let him go. You remember Jacob? Jacob in that strange story at the fort of the Jabbok as he's about to meet up with his brother Esau and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. It's an odd story. But there he's praying and all of a sudden it's as if God attacks him. And he's wrestling with the Lord. And God kind of, I think, just plays around with him a little bit. But when God's had enough, God ends it, right? And God just takes his finger and touches him on the hip of his stock socket and his hip is dislocated. Now, I've never had that happen, but I would imagine it's pretty painful. Do you not think Jacob is hurting? He's in deep, immense pain. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord says, I think uh, the idea is that all the ancients believe that if, they, if you saw God face to face, you would die. And so the angel of the Lord says, it's coming daybreak, I gotta go. And do you remember what Jacob says? I will not let you go till you bless me. Can you imagine this? It feels in that moment as if God is adversarial to Jacob. I bet Jacob feels that way. You're fighting with me. It feels like you're hurting me. But Jacob still won't let go because he knows that God is his only hope. And I would imagine some of you in this room or watching online, you feel like God is adversarial to you today. You're experiencing some pain in your life that is so hurtful, you're mad at God. 
And my encouragement today is even when it feels as if God is adversarial, don't let go of him. Because he's your only hope. And God delights in the attitude of people who just say, I'm not going to let go. You know, so many times, you know what I hear people pray? They pray, well, Lord, if it be your will, throw it out there. Do whatever you're going to do. Where would you see that kind of prayer honored in Scripture? It's not in there. You're just baptizing your laziness and calling it spirituality and blaming it on God. He's sovereign. He's going to do whatever you want to do. Listen, God is going to work out his plan, but he has sovereignly chosen to work through your prayers. And so we don't give him rest. I want God to say, oh, no, he's up again. Do you have somebody like that in your life that just won't, they just persist on you? Some of you men are married because you wore your wife down. You just wore her out with your persistence. We ought to give God no rest in our prayers. We just keep pursuing. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. You ask until you're tired, and then you start seeking, and then you start knocking. And when you get tired of knocking, it says the door will be opened unto you. The worst epitaph you could have on your gravestone would be that he didn't have because he never asked, and he wouldn't seek, and he didn't knock. Is there anything in your life right now that you're praying for like that? That you're close to God and you understand the character of God and your heart is so broken over a person or a situation and you're so convinced of God's character and heart that you're just not going to let go of him. Is there anything like that in your life that you're, you're that passionate about right now? John Knox said, give me Scotland or I die. George Whitfield said, give me souls or kill me. That's what it's called, that's what it called being, being the grip of a master passion. You know, the interesting thing about this is we look at the story of Abraham and his prayer here. Here's the question, that, that probably the most important question. Did God answer Abraham's prayer? Did God answer his prayer? What was Abraham praying? If you find 10, will you save the city? Did God destroy the city? Yeah, he did. Did God answer Abraham's prayer? Well, the, the way I would say it is that he didn't answer his words. But God did answer his heart. Because what was Abraham's heart at the end of the day? Who was he really concerned about? It wasn't the Sodomites. He didn't really care about the city. He cared about one individual, his nephew, Lot. God didn't answer his words, but he answered his heart. In Romans chapter 8, I've been studying it personally, and so it feels like, if you've ever been studying scripture, and you're, you're meditating on it, and then it feels like every other scripture in the Bible points back to that one, that's where I'm at right now. So you're going to hear a lot of Romans 8. I'm just giving you a warning. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about prayer and the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 26, he says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What Paul says there is that we need help praying. You say, well, how, do, how in the world do we need help praying? Prayer is, you would think that's the easiest spiritual discipline. All you do is talk. You just talk. You don't even really have to think. You just talk. Why do we need help praying? Well, Paul tells us, because we don't know how to pray as we should. Because the fact of the matter is when we pray, we don't ultimately know what is best. How many of you would be willing today to admit 
that if God answered every one of your prayers exactly as you prayed them for all of us, we would probably end Western civilization as we know it. The whole thing would come down. Because ultimately, when it gets down to it, we don't know how to pray. We don't have the perspective of God. We don't even know what's best. But the good news that Paul tells us here is that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That God brings us into situations and makes us aware of circumstances where we just groan. Because that's all we know to do. I mean, you ever been there? You're praying for somebody and you just mention, all you can do is just mention their name. And you just kind of groan. God, I don't even know. I don't know what's best here. I know your heart. I know your character. I know what I want. And you just kind of groan. If, listen, if you're not seeing some of the pictures of some of these refugees out of, coming out of Ukraine, and we just groan. I talked to a family this week that's trying to get a, a teenage boy that they're seeking to adopt out of Ukraine. And their prayer is not just for the teenager that they're trying to adopt, but about 108 orphans who have been displaced, and they don't even know where they're at right now. And they don't even know how to pray, and they just say pray. We don't even know. We just groan. God, help these children. That's Abraham. God has a relationship with Abraham. God tells Abraham what he's about to do. Abraham appeals to God and he just kind of groans. Ten people. He, that's all he, he's just doing the best he can. Ten people. But what the, what's the heart of Abraham? Ultimately, it's Lot and God answers his heart. You know what I would say? I would say Abraham doesn't know how to pray as he should. But the good news is, is that the Holy Spirit of God interceded on his behalf according to the perfect will of God. And this is good news. It's good news for me. I don't know about you, but it's good news for me because it means that we're not the, at the mercy of the words with which we pray. I like to write out my prayers. I've said this many times. If, if uh, this church caught on fire, which Lord forbid, but if it did, I would not go back to get my Bible. I can buy another Bible. I'd head straight to the cabinets for my prayer journals. The chronicling of God's faithfulness to a wretched sinner like me. And I read those prayers. I'm telling you, I love, one of the greatest things to do is to go back and read your prayers and you say, what a knucklehead you were. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer according to my words. You know what I've realized? He didn't answer my words, but he knew my heart, and he answered in far greater ways than my words could express. That's the beauty of a Holy Spirit that intercedes on our behalf. You see, prayer, prayer is this means by which God draws us close into this personal relationship with him. He shows us his sovereign. We're his friends. He tells us what he's going to do, what he is doing, and he breaks our hearts for circumstances and people and he puts us in positions where he just kind of squeezes prayer out of us. That we're not getting out of God what we want. God is getting out of us what he wants. And he's inviting us into his perfect purposes. What I want to do is just as we close here to challenge you. Here's the challenge. If you're a Christian, 
if you're close to God, if you're a friend of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and if you know God's will, you know what God is doing. What is God doing today? He's calling out a people. It's called the ecclesia, the church. And uh, he's given us a mission. Make disciples, be my witnesses. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. Your ultimate mission and purpose is to make disciples and to be Christ's witnesses. Wherever you go, wherever you're at, that's your ultimate mission. Somebody may pay, give you some money for what you do, but your ultimate purpose in being there is to be the light of Christ. We know what God's will is. We know what plan is. We know what lies ahead in the future, don't we? That's the reason we've been reading Revelation. Listen, if you're not praying for somebody who's lost right now, can I tell you, you're either ignorant and you just don't even know the power of prayer and what prayer is for, or you're apathetic and you just don't care. And I'm afraid far too often we as American Christians, and I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself, we just get so caught up in our own little lives and our own little existence living in our Johnson County world. And it becomes all about us and our prayer life is just a bunch of calling down room service for more creature comforts. God help us from being apathetic to a world full of people that if somebody doesn't tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, they're gonna experience the wrath of God. God, break our hearts. Let us have his heart towards a lost world. What I'm challenging you to do for the next 40 days is to pray every day for one person. One person that you want to see God move in their life. You want to see God bring about a radical change. You want to see God transfer them from a place of darkness into the kingdom of his light. And I'm asking you for 40 days to not let go of God until he blesses you. Fast and pray. Fasting is not a means to lose 10 pounds is a period of time in which you set aside an activity of your life to devote yourself fully and completely to the purpose of prayer. Where you say, God, I need to see you move in my life more than I need my next meal. That you are so burdened. You ever been so burdened for a situation in your life you couldn't eat? That God would burden your heart for one person to the extent that you would give up meals, you would give up some activity where you would say, I'm gonna spend an extra hour on my knees with nothing but the word of God and a heart to pray for one individual. It has been said that prayer is the thin nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Let's pray. And we're gonna invite you as a church to participate with us over the next 40 days. Our pastoral team has created devotionals, one for every day leading up to Easter. You can go online on our webpage. Just scroll down. It's right there, that icon that you see there. Or you can just text the word. You can do it this morning. Text the word UNLEASH to 89449. Submit that name of that person. If you wanna be confidential about it, just put their first name and last initial. We don't need to know all the details, but we wanna join with you. We wanna pray in accordance with God's word. We wanna pray the heart and the character of God back to him on behalf of other people, just as Abraham did with Lot. And we wanna see God move. You wanna see God move? It's so funny. People want to see God do a new thing. We want to see a new work. But God, we're not changing. We're just going to go about a normal routine. How's that ever going to work? If we really, if we really want to see God move in our nation 
And I know some of you are praying desperately. You really want to see God move in our nation. How about let's see about God changing people's lives? Because change in our nation and our world is not going to come through a politician or a piece of legislator. It's going to come through the gospel of Jesus Christ entering into people's heart and changing their lives. So, if you're serious about this, who's your one? Now, you can have five, but you ought to at least have one. Who's your one? Who are you praying for? Who are you asking God to move? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I pray that you would know God loves you far more than you could possibly imagine. I pray that you would know that we exist to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is a curse that's out there and there's people dying, but Christ came and he's saving out of people and he'll save you. If you turn to him in repentance and forgiveness, he will forgive you of all transgressions, of all your sins. He'll transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son and it'll come on the basis of faith through Christ who absorbed the full wrath of God so that now he could extend salvation to you as a free gift of grace. And you and I who know Jesus... This is our life, isn't it? We're called to live on a different plane, not for the stuff of this world. We're not a group of people who are just trying to use God to work our side of the street. That's what most people are doing. I'm just going to use God to work my side of the street to give me a little more stuff in this life until I die. No, 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 no. We're going to God and pleading with him to use us to change other people. We come to him, we lay down our lives, say, use us to accomplish your perfect will. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, um, we come before you this morning. We're just so grateful for the salvation that you've extended to us in Jesus Christ. If there's anybody here this morning, they're wondering, why would you do all this? Why, why would you be so passionate about telling other people? It's because we've received your mercy, God. And I pray that they would know that today. We've been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel came to us. Somebody told us. Somebody went out of their way. Somebody put themselves out there, outside their comfort zone, in a bold way to tell us about the good news of Jesus Christ. And to those who have experienced your grace and your mercy, we should be compelled to tell other people. Lord, I pray that they would know that we love them and we want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that you draw them supernaturally by your spirit and by your word today that they might know your salvation, your freedom, your forgiveness. God, for those of us that do know you, may we commit ourselves we know what your heart is. We see it on every page of Scripture. We know that what the heart of Christ is, who did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I pray that your heart, O oh Father, and your heart, O oh Christ, would be our heart as your people. Lord, help us. We need you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.